0: Hello you filthy animals and welcome to another episode of the Old Metal Bar Steward brought to you by 25 Years Light Media and the Ruminations Radio Network. I am your host, the Old Metal Bar Steward himself, Neil Gray and before we get into more tales from my sordid past as well as my opinions and views on this week's hot stories in rock and metal it's time for my favourite part of the show, the disclaimer. The opinions and thoughts of the Old Metal Bar Steward are mine and mine alone and in no way reflect the opinions and thoughts of 25 years later media and the Ruminations Radio Network. With that out of the way, let's get into it. And today, I'd like to start off by talking about the greatest band in the fucking world, Motorhead. Lemmy didn't give a fuck. He didn't give a fuck when they kicked him out of school at the age of 15, after he took offence to being caned, taking the offending instrument of torture off his headmaster and slapping him upside the head with it. He didn't give a fuck when years later, he was kicked out of Hawkwind. Instead, he got his revenge by breaking into their rehearsal studio to steal his equipment back and slept with their girlfriends behind their backs. And he really didn't give a fuck when he formed the loudest band in the world, turning his back on trippy, psychedelic noodling, play music so fast and heavy that it arguably paved the way for punk and the new wave of British heavy metal movements that would follow in its wake. As Dave Grohl put it, To me, more than any other rock musician, he is the baddest motherfucker in the world. It was this lack of giving a fucktitude that helped make Motorhead the most original band ever to walk the face of the planet. Don't believe me? Well, let's look at the facts. Name a band. Any band. And you can find about a million others that sound like them. The Beatles, The Stones, Zeppelin. Each of them unique in their own rights but each with imitators that carve careers out for themselves by basically stealing their sound and moving a few chords around. But not Motorhead. As I've already stated for the record, I had a head start in music as a child, yet nothing, nothing could prepare me for the first time I laid eyes and ears on Motorhead. I was 11 going on 12, and the young ones was a must-see TV for my generation. For those of you unfamiliar with it, It's about a bunch of students sharing a house who spend most of their time beating the hell out of each other and making virgin jokes. Fuck off, I was 11. Each week they'd have a band play the show and during the episode called Bambi, that band was Motorhead. I'd never seen anything like it. Still haven't, if truth be told. The anger and fury with which they burnt through Ace of spades had me virtually pinned to the wall of my bedroom. If I hadn't had my earphones in... The sheer amount of noise that would have blasted through the black and white TV speaker would have alerted my parents to the fact that I wasn't actually asleep as I was supposed to be, but instead watching the idiot box. It was jaw-dropping. The pace with which Filthy Animal Taylor beat on his kit was accentuated by the brutal riffs laid out by Phil Campbell and Wurzel. Admittedly, I didn't know that the song had been recorded as a three-piece some years earlier because, as I pointed out, I was 11. Fuck off. But it was the rumbling cacophony of bass noise, hair and boil stood in the middle of the screen with his head tilted back at an angle as he growled into the microphone that really, really caught my attention. Who was this man? a scruffy-ass vision and all black clothes and white cowboy boots, I had to know more. Lemmy was born in Stoke-on-Trent on December 24th, 1945. His old man split when he was three months old, leaving the future metal god to be raised by his mum and his grandma. Which he later claimed gave him a better understanding of women. Post-war Britain was about as dull as it could be. Vast swathes of the country were nothing more than bomb sites, and the entertainment still had its roots in standing around the piano and belting out old favorites such as "Roll Out the Barrel" and other Cockney classics. Lemmy himself said, "I remember before there was rock and roll. It was bland. It was boring." and it sure wasn't the kind of entertainment that young men and women of Lemmy's generation could have been looking forward to inheriting. So when Elvis hit and brought rock and roll with him, it must have been like breaking the surface when you're drowning. Having seen what this music meant to people, mainly women, Lemmy decided that this was what he wanted to do for a living, and after mixing it up in what seemed like a new band every few days, he settled in for a two-year stint with the Rockin' Vickers. If you've ever read his book, White Line Fever, you'll know that Lemmy enjoyed his time within the band, even if he didn't really like the drummer. But even though they were huge in the North, Lemmy had his eyes set on an even bigger conquest, London. He quit the band and headed to the Big Smoke, where he ended up crashing with Neville Chesters and Noel Redding, bass player extraordinaire with the Jimi Hendrix experience. It turned out to be quite a good deal, as he ended up being a roadie for Hendrix, which had quite an effect on him as he explained it. When he performed, he was magic. You would watch him and space and time would stop. Oh, the aftermath wasn't always so great. After he played, we'd have to repair his fuzz boxes because he'd just stomp all over them. And they'd all go in the bits all over the stage and he'd have to find the bits and put them back together. Fucking Murder. He also carried on with his own plans for world domination, playing in some short-lived projects before settling down with Hawkwind. Now I know for a fact that my fellow 25 years later a certain Christopher the Flat Flacket, would love me to do a huge piece on Lemmy's time within the space rock pioneers, but outside of Silver Machine, I can't fucking stand that heavy bollocks. And as it's my show, let's just say he was with them from 1971 to 1975 and they booted him out when it suited Lemmy himself said, "I did like being in Hawkwind, and I believe I'd still be playing with them today if I hadn't been kicked out. It was fun on stage, but not so much off stage. They didn't want to mess with me. Musically, I loved the drum of the guitar player. It was a great band. Luckily for the rest of music, Hawkwind didn't see it the same way, so feeling jilted, and after he pulled the stunts I mentioned back in the intro, he set about forming his own band out of spite. That's right, folks." Motorhead was born onto the world because Lemmy was pissed off. Talking to Sounds magazine back in 1975, he explained his manifesto for the band. They'd be the dirtiest rock and roll band in the world. If you moved in next door, your lawn would die. And it was a promise that he'd stick with for the next 45 years. Finding themselves signed with United Artists, mainly because they wanted to keep hold of Lemmy after he left Hawkwind, They recorded their first album, On Parole, and assumed that this would be the start of something special, which it was. It was the start of the special relationship that record companies had with trying to fuck Motorhead over at every damn opportunity for the rest of their career. On Parole got buried. So spectacularly, in fact, they didn't see the light of day until 1979 when the band was hitting its stride and the record company was looking to cash in. But this didn't stop Lemmy from forging ahead with his vision of a great rock and roll band. Between 1978 and 1980, after they managed to get booted off of United Artists, they recorded Motorhead, Overkill, Bomber, and Ace of Spades. Four albums that still stand up today against anything you care to mention. And even though there would be changes to what some see as a classic Motorhead lineup, with both Taylor and Fast Eddie Clark leaving the band, As long as the focal point was the man in the black hat, then the band would march on. Sure enough, there were a couple of hiccups along the way. Some people should never have been given a chance, like the ex-in Lizzie guitar player Brian Robbo-Robertson. And some of the albums had a bit too much filler and not enough killer, but there were some fucking brilliant records put out by Motorhead after Eddie and Phil walked away. 1916, Bastards, Inferno, Kiss of Death, These are easily equal to anything the band put out during its so-called golden years. And when it came to taking the music out to the masses, well, that was when Lemmy was at his happiest. As he told Sylvia Simmons in 2006, If you can give the kids a good time, then that's all it's for. Forget art and all that. That's bullshit. If you can send some shiver down the kids back, then that's what it's all about. All else is bullshit. That's what rock and roll was for in the first place. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what it's still about. I'm trying to give them that same feeling I felt the first time I heard All Shook Up or Good Golly Miss Molly. I just want to send that shiver up their back because it's the best thing I ever felt. It's better than screwing. And that's just what he did. He lived on the road. He had a small apartment in LA which was filled to the brim with collectibles and random junk he picked up over the years. But he only used it on those days that he wasn't either in the studio Right, playing in front of thousands of people, which was very rare indeed. Alongside Mickey D and Phil Campbell, who had 23 and 31 years of service respectively, the monster that was the live show travelled the world over and over, year after year, decade after decade, bringing nostalgic joy to those of us that had been around for almost as long as the members of the band and their road crew, as well as giving a whole new generation of fans the chance to experience that same thrill. ...I had on that fateful night back in 1984... ...when my entire musical world changed. I remember going to my first show in the 90s... ...and meeting up with a lot of people... ...who I thought I'd never see again... ...as is the want of the life of a fan. Yet every time I went to another concert... ...I'd see the same faces... ...and we'd carry on where we'd left off... ...and as time went on... ...those same faces would be joined by new faces... ...who quickly became the same faces... If you're a motorhead family, you get it. We are a family, and I like to think that's how Lemmy wanted it. We were for him, we were with him, and we didn't give a fuck. It's been half a decade since Lemmy passed away. I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried that day. If we were a family, then Lemmy was the head of the table. And for him to go like that, for him to actually die, well, it just seemed impossible. There was always that joke about how cockroaches, Keith Richards, and Lemmy were the only things to survive the apocalypse. So having to face the fact that even a god could die, it wasn't easy. He was punk before punk, thrash before thrash. He was the last outlaw who did it the way he wanted to and on his own terms. And there isn't one single fucker in music today that can hold a candle to him. He might be gone, but he'll never be forgotten. And when you play as loudly as Motorhead did, you'll be heard long after you've passed on. Right up until the point the sun goes out, and that's not a bad legacy to leave behind you, is it? Right then, on with the news. As you may have noticed over the past couple of weeks, I've been very high on rock getting their COVID jammed. This is because it's obvious, even to my pickled mind, that there are a lot of metalheads out there that are feeling tad cautious about the whole deal. Now for me, it's as plain as a nose on your face that you need to get this done. You get a shot, you may or may not feel crappy for the next few days, and Bob's your auntie's cousin, but one step closer to kicking this fucker squatting the nuts. There's a very good chance that not everyone is going to listen to your friendly neighbourhood old metal bar steward, and may need someone else they admire to convince them to go ahead with it. This week, that will hopefully be Sebastian back. The former Skid Row singer and all-round badass tweeted that he would gotten his shot and said, Every one of you who calls yourself a rock fan, go get the vaccine and a vaccine passport so we can get this show on the road again. And it's a sentiment that I support to the max. What I don't support, however, is the utter fucking stupidity and ignorance when it comes to this disease. And nowhere was this on better show these past seven days than with Ted fucking Nugent. If, like me, you felt for a very long time that Nugent is a whack job, who would have been sectioned if he was in any other walk of life, then you'll be happy to know that he's proved it even further during two separate Facebook live streams. In the first, he attacked Joe Biden well, no fucking surprise there, before ranting about masks and raging against the vaccine, which sounds like a pretty cool name for a rage against the Machine Tribute Act. He said, and I quote, The mask, really, the mask. And the mask contains your breath when and how. A vaccine that was authorised in four months compared to every other vaccine that took years of adequate testing. Have you seen what's in it? Have you seen what's in it? Well, to be fair, no, I haven't. But I'm pretty fucking sure that this moron hasn't either. And the whole, the mask doesn't work? Surely that has to be redundant by now. Stop the spread of germs, numbnuts. What the fuck do you think surgeons wear them while they're operating? We're not content with offending every normal-thinking human being on the face of the planet with one dumbass statement this week. Old Ted doubled down on the snowflakes on Wednesday during another Facebook stream by saying, and I shit you not. You know, I guess I would ask you because I'm addicted to truth, logic and common sense and my common sense meter would demand the answer to why weren't we shut down for COVID 1 through 18 I have no idea what the movie is. i got a has got Adam Sandler in it. But the guy turns to him and says... That is the stupidest thing anybody's ever said... And we're all dumber for having to listen to it. This is where I stand on this. Before deciding to besmirch the brave doctors and nurses... Who have to deal with this shit every day... For what seems like forever. As well as those poor souls... Who have died thanks to this fucking pandemic he then decided to add they claim 500,000 people have died from covid bullshit i believe that medical examiners are in all 50 states have gone i put down on the death certificate that he died of asphyxiation but they made me put down covid well this guy was stabbed to death but they made me put down covid this guy was ran over by a tandem gravel truck doing a four-wheel drift and the crows be pecking at your flesh, but they made me put down COVID. So he thinks there were 18 other strains of COVID before it got his shit kicking down to a fine art. This then caused medical professionals to risk their careers, as well as being sued from here to the fucking moon, by faking death certificates to bump up the numbers. This is so fucking idiotic and offensive at the same time, that I don't know whether to laugh like a maniac or punch my laptop... How fucking dare he, those who, who risk their fucking lives every day dealing with this fucking plague of lying and fudging the numbers. Ted Nugent is a fucking moron. But he's a dangerous fucking moron. As he has thousands of similar-minded morons who agree with everything he says and hang on to every piece of bullshit right-wing propaganda that spills from his toxic mouth. I used to wonder if you could separate the performer from the performance after all Ted can shred but I no longer feel that that's the case. You're either on the right side of this battle against a silent killer like Sebastian Bach, like Rob Halford, like Perry Farrell, or you've got your head so firmly wedged in your own ass that you can taste what you had for breakfast last week. And if that's the case, you're on the fucking idiot side, along with Ted fucking Nugent. And talking of news that split the internet, Phil Anselmo has been discussing his decision to play Pantera sets with his band The Illegals. He said while speaking to Revolver that even though he played a few songs here and there, it wasn't until the passing of Vinny that he felt the need to do a full set as a tribute to his fallen comrades. As you can imagine, the keyboard warriors have already had a lot to say on this subject and they're quite happy to take to their computers when it was brought up again this week. Some are for it, others are against it, but quite frankly, it's none of your fucking business. The fact is that he was just as important to the sound of Pantera, as both Dimebag and his brother. And if he wants to honour their memories by belting out the songs that helped make them such a legendary band, then you should be fucking allowed to. If you don't like it, then don't buy a ticket. Don't go see the fucking show. Papa Roach are trying to flog their new album to anyone who hasn't realised that it isn't the year 2000 anymore by claiming that they're sitting on something very special and it will blow rock fans' minds. If by blow-rock fans' minds you mean there will be an increased chance of us putting a loaded gun to our collective heads and squeezing the trigger until it's empty, rather than listen to the cutting-edge use of hip-hop in metal these fucking douchebags are claiming is going to be so revolutionary, then yes, you may achieve your lofty goals. hate to burst your bubble there, fellas, but hip-hop in metal was revolutionary in 1992 when Body Count did it. We're kind of used to it now, and we sure as shit don't need some new metal wankers acting like they've reinvented the world by ripping off what came before, in a bid just to make themselves relevant again. I fucking hate Papa Roach. I fucking hate Stain. I fucking hate New Metal. And the quicker this shit fucks back off to the cold, lifeless grave it spent the past 20 years in, the better. We all know New Metal is dead, but shall we just drive a stake through its heart just to make sure? Dee Schneider has a new album coming out. Leave a Scar will be released on Napalm Records on July the 30th, And though that alone should be enough reason to celebrate, what's caught my eye is that he's going to be doing a duet with Cannibal Corpse frontman George Grinder Fisher. Yeah, I'm pretty lost for words as well. This is either a masterstroke or will fall so hard that it will crack the planet like an eggshell. You've got to admit, D. Schneider gives fucking zero fucks and is always willing to try something new and outside the box. Personally... This is going to be the first track I jump to when I can get hold of a copy of the album. And if anyone can make something that sounds this insane work, then it's D fucking Schneider. Korn's Brian Welsh can't seem to catch a break either. A couple of weeks ago, he was on the No Fucking Regrets podcast discussing his fate. For those of you that don't know, in 2005, Welsh left Korn and cleaned his life up by becoming a born again Christian. And while discussing this with Flynn, He admitted that he might have gone full on fanatical about it. Now, he's being seen by some within his religion as being a traitor to the faith. If it isn't bad enough that he gets shit from metalheads who are too stupid to know better, he's now being called out by fellow Christians for seemingly backing away from his beliefs. What the fuck is wrong with people? I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am far from religious. But if you are, then good for you people should be allowed to believe in whoever or whatever they want. And they sure as shouldn't be taking the task by having the self-awareness to realise that it might have consumed them in a way that they now feel could have been negative to their own peace of mind. As long as nobody is getting hurt, let people worship however the fuck they want. This past Wednesday saw two of my favourite things get together as Metal Met wrestling with Nita Strauss performing the national anthem at NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. I make no bones about the fact I love wrestling, and, in fact, starting next week, you'll be able to hear my thoughts on all the weekly wrestling news and a brand new podcast on the Ruminations Radio Network called, originally, The Weekly Wrestling Review. So when one of my favourite guitar players was lined up to perform on one of my favourite shows, it was always going to be one of the highlights of my week. Fortunately, it didn't let me down, and even though I would have loved a bit more shredding from Nita Strauss, I understand that Americans can get a bit touchy when it comes to the Star Spangled Banner, so I guess I shouldn't have expected her to be able to cut loose to the full extent that we all know she's capable of, but she did a pretty fucking good job and she'd be praised for it. And finally, Soulfly put in the finishing touches to the twelfth album, and it might be out later this year, everything permitting. According to Max Cavalera himself, it's going to be pretty killer. Now, I don't have a lot to say about a brand new Soulfly record, except woo fucking who. and please, someone let my chiropractor know I'll be needing an appointment to get my neck fixed the day after it hits the store. After all, you can never have enough Soulfly in your life. So there it is. Another week, another episode of the Old Metal Bar Steward. I've been your host, the Old Metal Bar Steward himself, Neil Gray, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. Brought to you by 25 Years Later Media and the Ruminations Radio Network. And you all know the drill by now. When you turn off my dulcet tones, head on over to the main 25 Years Later site, as well as its sister sites, or obsessive and sports obsessive, and get your eyeballs some top-notch reading. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network, as they've got you covered no matter what your ear holes are craving. Now, normally, I would finish this with my usual spill.
1: But today was announced that DMX has passed away. And I feel I should speak on the subject. Now, the show might be about metal, but I myself, I'm not purely about metal. I love all kinds of music, classical through the funk, obviously metal, and I'm a big fan of hip-hop. Always have been, always will be. Which might sound weird because... I'm English, and I'm white, and all that bollocks. But poor understands poor. And when we lose the fucking soldier, it, it hits hard. DMX was 50. 50, that's no fucking age, man. It's no age to be dying. And I'd like to offer my condolences to his family. And I'd also like to offer my advice to each and every single one of you. Stay fucking safe. Though so those that you love, you love them. And look after each other. And I'll speak to you next week. This is the Old Metal Bastard signing off.